My name's Paul Wood, and I'm going to give a short presentation on maintaining a profit margin uh, from an engineer's perspective. So I'm a chartered mechanical engineer with the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. Um, I'm also a member of the Institute of Asset Management. I've got over 15 years experience in heavy engineering industries. Um, so I've worked in on oven systems, conveyors, hydraulics, pneumatics, pumps, cooling systems, through to sort of spare stores management, um, and then more managerial side of things with capital strategic planning, uh, resource planning, and also around safety management and leadership. Um, I'm also a dad of three, so I've got excellent communication, negotiation, and listening and patient skills as well. So before I start, just a quick overview of what Finch Consulting do. Uh, so I'm a senior consultant there, um, and Finch offer uh, high quality health safety engineering advice and support to our clients. Um, we get involved before, during, after incident uh, commissioning operations. Uh, we offer support in various areas of engineering industry, including machinery safety, so the likes of peer assessments, um, CE, UK, CA marking as well, um, and process safety, so we do things like disease assessments, as op studies, um, as well as broader sort of asset management support, which I'll touch on in today's uh, talk. We also have specialists who work in the fields of health, safety and environment. Um, some of our consultants are ex-HC inspectors, so can offer real-world advice. And we also offer um, noise and vibration assessment services as well. Um, alongside the consulting work, we also provide expert witness services. So we work with uh, legal, insurance, industrial and financial sectors um, to provide them with reports on you know, during incidents or after incidents um, of expert opinions. We, we also as a business, um, unfortunately just before COVID hit, we took a major refurbishment of our offices and we've now got a state-of-the-art training facility. That's now starting to come back into use. Uh, now things are starting to change with regards to the COVID risks and things. Um, so within the, the um, our training facility, we can offer a range of courses uh, in-house from um, around machinery safety, CAUK, CA awareness, uh, hand-arm vibration management control, through to health safety law and enforcement. Um, and we can also offer the room for hire as well for your own needs. So, firstly, thanks to the FDF for providing the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, I hope you find it useful, and I hope you find uh, a few golden nuggets to walk away with um, to help with things. Now, there's every, ever increasing costs um, at the moment in, in industry, and there's probably no better time to ensure that your assets are delivering what you want, when you want, and in the most efficient way. Um, the profit margins, as I'm sure you're all pretty aware, is again pinched at both ends. To understand topics around energy inefficiencies, equipment failures, uh, waste reduction, identifying value-add opportunities, uh, reduced bottlenecks can all help reduce the manufacturing costs and maintain the margins you guys need to meet business objectives. So firstly, how's the food and drink industry actually faring? Well, uh, I'm not sure if you follow Make UK, but they, they do um, regular manufacturing industry out uh, updates. Uh, this is taken from the, the outlook for quarter three. So in fact from a, a gross value add perspective uh, the food and drink sector is is outperforming the other sectors by quite a lot. It's actually double the, the second place of metal products um, and you've got a, a growth forecast for, for 2022 of about 4.6 percent which is well above the average for the other sectors. Um, but 
it also recognises that probably going into 2023, that pace is going to drop off um, and it, it could go down to something around 0.6% growth. So although there's a bit of a, bit of a boom at the moment, and I know it's been busy the last few years, things may start to slow going into the, into the new year. So if we take a, a typical product, and the, these are generic sort of figures just to give you a, a, an idea of what things um, cost, but um, and it's going to vary by by sector, but it gives you a rough idea of the breakdown. And one thing that came to mind when I was pulling together was I wasn't really sure how often, as a as a uh, industry, you may review these this sort of breakdown um, to just make sure you're focused on the right areas. Uh, so that's that was one thought whilst pulling together. Probably for the majority of you, one of the, the biggest chunks is around ingredients, um, and I've pulled some figures here from. Um, the latest trading trading figures and you know we all know probably the, the ingredients common ingredients are very volatile at the moment and uh, some flour oil went from 1300 to 2300 euros uh, per ton overnight uh, due to the conflicts in in ukraine that had a knock-on effect to rapeseed but had a much smaller increase um and then things like butter you know this this year butter's at an all-time high it actually increased 18 percent during 2022 we all saw the media the, the reports of seven pounds a tub for um, for butter, which was shocking. Um, but you know, on a more positive note, things like wheat, um, it's great to see that vessels are starting to be able to export from Ukraine now, which is a big exporter, and that'll hopefully start to help with some supply in in, in industry going into the winter months. Um, but looking at the figures, we're still only exporting sort of half what they would normally. Um, export during the year so I think at the moment they're around about 5.8 million tons where it normally would be about 10.9 so there's still things to, to improve and hopefully uh, help with um, distribution out there but I think awareness um, with the public now is probably at an all-time high with regards to food origins and people really start to think about where stuff is coming from um, and although it is sometimes potentially sensationalized by the media the message is there nonetheless um, people do start to think a lot more about where stuff is coming from so another chunk on the on the pie chart there is around energy um, and again we're all aware the energy prices are all-time high um, things like the Nord Stream 1 still out of service so gas supply is very volatile uh, there's talks in the media again about blackouts going into winter there's refocused efforts on, on renewables um, but again the likes of the wind sector is still growing but the a lot of the old assets start to reach the end of life now and they require life extension works or replacements. So they've got their own challenges. Um, and I'm sure these drastic fluctuations are having a massive impact on your profit margins and likely to continue through through winter into 2023. Um, and while it's not 100% clear yet, you know, we welcome sort of price caps, tax breaks, and things like the uh, energy intensive industries compensation scheme that's been extended to 2025, which all starts to help to give a bit of stability to, to uh, energy costs. And then we've got labour. Again, it's not a pretty picture. Cost of living is predicted to continue to rise um, going into 2023. Employees start to look for increased salaries to help with cost of living. Um, as a result of that, there's been quite a few strikes. Um, things like Port of Felix Stove, the eight-day strike. Uh, I live in Liverpool. There's been a two-week strike at uh, Port of Liverpool. The buses in, in Merseyside, they had a 31-day strike. Uh, barristers have been on strike, refuse collection, training strike, Royal Mail, nurses, the list goes on and on. Um, so again, it, it doesn't help paint a pretty picture with regards to costs. 
Um, working across different sectors, I'm also aware that recruitment is an ongoing challenge for you all as well. So um, it's a lot to get on with. I think the big sectors on the uh, the pie chart there are around profit, which obviously we want to try and maintain or even increase if you can. And then tax, which I appreciate can vary by sector um, and product business, but in the current climate, it's something the government are, are being pressed on more and more. And I know the FTF team or uh, leadership team are pressing that as well. Um, I was, I was lucky enough to attend the FTF conference in London back in March, uh, and the FTF CEO, Karen Betts, had an excellent discussion on the stage with uh, Honourable George Eustace MP, who was Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs at the time. And I'm sure those those conversations are still ongoing, and I know the FTF were in presence at the Conservative Party conference last week, so I'm sure they're still pressing for, um, for assistance and support wherever they can. So apologies there, it's probably painted quite a depressing picture and it's not the, the best way to start the presentation, but you know that, that's where we are at the moment in the industry um, and it probably reminds a lot of you guys of, of the challenges you, you're currently facing. But a lot of that is outside of your control, so there's a need to focus on what you can, can control. Uh, so I'd like to touch on each of these points briefly through the presentation and hopefully give you some ideas um, or inspiration of what we, you can do to counter the external issues. Energy, it is a big factor in any industry, and hopefully, I'm sure you all are asking, can you reduce it, can you use it more effectively, um, or can you just understand it more? Um, and I'm sure it's been on your company radar for quite a long time now, uh, and you probably have carried out various pieces of work around energy efficiency to, to reduce costs uh, with mixed results. But in my role, I do get to go around different, different sites, different factories, and it's surprising that I still visit sites that still got sort of um, halogen high bay lighting, for example, which is, is massively uh, inefficient. Um, you still go in there and you still hear audible steam leaks um, or, or air leaks. I mean, a steam leak, if, if you've got a steam trap stuck open, that costs sort of £700 per, per year. If you've got a few of those, thousands of pounds soon start to add up. And things like uninsulated heating pipe work, um, these are all easy to spot things and um, easy to fix things, which are often the tips of the iceberg. Um, so one of the, one of the big things that I, I'm keen to sort of get across is is understanding the assets. So um, putting together a simple asset list, uh, rank them in order of energy usage. So it doesn't have to be anything anything complicated. It's a simple plot of uh, each each asset you have. Uh, what sort of use of electric, gas, water does it have? And then um, rank them in, in order. And that can really help focus your efforts. Um, and some of these, some surprises of actually which assets do uh, cost the most or are using the most energy. And with the fluctuating prices, what used to be a big user might not be as much as something that's now using uh, gas a lot more because of the increased costs. Then once you've got that visibility, start to develop an action tracker of, of what can be done to improve that efficiency. And it's important with that is to, to do a cost-benefit analysis for each of those so that you can rank, as well as what assets in order, rank in, in order of uh, complexity or cost uh, and benefit, which ones you're going to prioritise. Because again, you've all got budgetary constraints, you can't, you can't do everything all at once. So it's important to focus on the right assets and the right actions as well. I mean, personally, in my, in my house, we've just had a, a smart meter fitted and um, a little a little uh, display in the kitchen. And just being able to see what energy we use on a daily basis has really changed our habits. Um, so we're a lot more conscious now when we have the heat on, what the lights are on, turn things off and, and trying to keep that number down as low as possible. 
So having that visibility in the, in the workplace should be just as important. And then, you know, around efficiency and, and uh, operating efficient reviews, as an example, if you've got ovens, furnaces or similar, um, how, how efficient are, are the startup processes around those? In my previous life, I used to work in the steel industry and we had big ovens and furnaces there. And at the start of the shift of the week, um, after a shutdown or something, the number one priority was to get the, the ovens or furnaces on, lit, fired up to temperature, um, ready to start production. But at the same time, maintenance work was being taken off or target work. And that often went past the point of where the ovens were ready. And then the ovens were sat at that temperature, just basically burning gas, um, wasting energy while we wait for other things to do. So, you know, as daft as this, and it, it is simple things, but by understanding the average warm-up times, working backwards from your activities that were happening at the time, so creating a critical path, um, we, we could start to save one or two hours of, of um, idle time of, of those those furnaces running with, with gas just going up the, uh, the chimney, for the sake of it. Um, and, you know, other things in the past, uh, I used to manage uh, some large water impounding stations, which used to pump water from the sea into a, into a dock system. The sea was tidal, and then the pump stations could only operate at certain times. Um, and these are big pump stations. So, you know, to give you a flavour, to one pump station cost about £1,000 an hour to run, because the electricity cost was that high. The other one was about £1,200 an hour. Um, both pumps water into the same uh, dock, but after a few questions, it became clear that um, when we didn't need to run all the pumps, there was no clear instruction around which ones to run as a priority. And you know, after a bit of analysis, looking at the, the, the trends, it came quite clear that uh, quite often the more expensive pumps, pumps are being run um, for whatever reason. And you know, by by simply saying to the operators, well, when you start pumps up, start with the, the most efficient first, and then work back towards the most inefficient. We start to save, you know, a thousand pounds a day on, on operating costs, which again soon adds up over the year. And it seems simple, but it was just overlooked, um, and people just were, were doing what they thought was was right. But just having the conversation helped uh, improvements. And I'm sure a lot of your processes uh, use or give off heat as a, as a waste product as well. So you know, is is there any scope in uh, heat recovery? So could a heat exchanger be installed in the, the flow before before it goes up the chimney stack? Um, can that heat then be used to heat, build, heat, heat your building or preheat a water tank or an air system or something, um, or even a heat pump system? Simple things, but um, where wherever energy is being wasted, you can see it going uh, just through atmosphere. Just question that sort of what can we do differently? Um, and then look at alternative energy solutions. So, you know, we're all aware now of solar, wind and stuff. Um, they, they, they're, they're getting ever more efficient um, and, and also cheaper as well. So, you know, it's is is time now potentially to uh, invest, uh, review old projects. So what used to be um, perhaps a, a project which was dis dismissed because it wasn't viable, by taking into account the new uh, revised energy costs, suddenly those projects do potentially become more viable. And then from an asset perspective, you know, looking at asset performance, um, do you do you know how well your assets are performing? Could they be doing better? Um, do you look at how you compare to competitors? You know, it's a very competitive marketplace now. Um, 
do you have any insight of how well your, your competitors are performing and how you're performing against them? Um, do you have an asset strategy, your assets? And what I mean by that is um, a plan of what should that asset be doing, how should it do it, and what do you need to do to keep it doing that? Um, again, it's a simple thing, but um, quite often companies are just running that, running an asset or piece of equipment or manufacturing line, um, just trying to churn things out by by looking back at what should it be doing, how do we do it, and what do we need to do to keep it doing that. Then again, focus your efforts in the right areas. Um, and that kind of brings on to the, the, the area of maintenance concepts. So um, undertaking things like root cause analysis, so looking at failures, um, understanding why it's failed, what can you do to stop it happening again. Um, and I, I used to take the, the mantra of... Um, 100 year guarantee. So, if something failed, what do we do to stop it ever happening again? And don't just look at that particular piece of uh, that component, that particular asset. If that, you know, let's say it's a coupling or a valve, if that same coupling or valve is elsewhere on the line, do we need to do the same modification or, or uh, upgrade to those other parts? And that, that then potentially reduces the, the, the breakdowns in the future. Um, again, looking at asset criticality. Which, which assets are the most critical? Which ones really help deliver your business objectives and goals? They potentially require a bit more attention than, than other ones. Um, because again, we're quite aware that um, resources is tight, so you need to focus on, on the important things. Spares, spares review. Um, two parts to that is you know, excess stock. Are you holding too much stock? Um, are you holding the right stock? Uh, and then probably more predominant moment is lead times on certain parts are, are really high. Some, so, so some electrical components, some safety, safety physical components are, are, are really you know, 20 week lead time or if not more. Um, so are you carrying the right spares for your critical assets? Um, if you haven't got the right, right parts, is that going to have a massive impact on, on um, getting your asset back up and operating? And that, that kind of ties in with them. Um, looking at planned and unplanned downtime. Um, obviously, unplanned downtime causes various issues with production and, and waste. Planned, you know, if you if you have a, a 12 hour um, planned downshift every few weeks um, to do maintenance, do you need 12 hours? Can you reduce it a bit, but, but still getting the quality of work complete? Um, and then utilization. How how well are you utilizing the equipment? Um, can you get more out of it? Could you do things differently to, to get more, more out of it, uh, to balance sort of the operational uh, requirements, the maintenance requirements, and then the, the plan maintenance um, stuff as well? And then looking at sort of what sort of maintenance you do. So is it is it reactive? So you're very much firefighting based where things break, you fix it and get it going again. Are you more proactive? Are you doing a lot of maintenance inspections to try and find problems before they, they cause failures? Or are you, are you quite a mature organisation where you're looking at uh, more condition-based maintenance? So you're being more predictive, using thermal imaging, uh, vibration analysis, try and find issues before they actually become a problem at all. Because often once an inspector finds a problem, you've got to fix it there and then, whereas condition-based approach, you can potentially find a problem, you can monitor it, and then uh, at a suitable point uh, in the production, plant you can break into the plan and, and do repairs and you know those those approaches uh, reactive proactive condition based 
can be different for different parts of the, the plant. Some, some assets um, will benefit mainly from reactive, whereas some um, will be better condition-based. It's trying to tailor the maintenance to suit what's required. And then, you know, bottlenecks. What what issues are preventing you producing more? Um, and simple things like asking, understanding at, at a line level what the issues are. Um, the management might not be aware of little things which stop the big things happening. Um, by understanding those those issues, you can poten potentially um, reduce the bottlenecks, streamline things, and make things a bit easier. And then, with all of this, it's understanding where your asset is on its on its sort of timeline of, of life, um, and whether that's factored into annual planning. So, just move on to that a bit. Uh, what I'm talking about there is this is a bathtub curve. So this depicts the typical uh, sort of failure rate for uh, an asset. And at, at the start of its life, it, there's a higher risk of uh, infant mortality where there's, there's later manufacturing defects or commissioning issues which cause spikes in failure rates. And in the middle of its life, you get a more consistent, you still get breakdowns, but then they're not as often. And then towards the end of its life, you then tend to get a, a, another spike where things start to wear out and fail. So understanding where your asset is on that curve um, helps understand what sort of maintenance you need to do to it. Because as an asset gets older and you start to get to the right-hand side where you get an increase in failure rate, you might have to start to do potentially a bit more plan maintenance. You might do some um, additional inspections to try and find issues before they cause failures. Um, as I said, throughout this whole thing, one of the key things that I recommend is understanding why failures have happened um, and don't just get it back up and running, but understand what happened, why did it happen, what can you do to stop happening again. Um, that can really, really start to um, influence the, the steepness of the curves uh, and flatten that a bit. Another area is around waste reduction. And it's, often a, it's often a focus um, and it can be short-term games, but equally, if it's done properly, it can be a, a cultural change for around the waste. And this is obviously, um, it was the seven waste, now the eight, eight wastes of um, lean manufacturing brought, brought across by Toyota from Japan many moons ago. Um, and, it, you know, this on itself is worthy of a whole presentation because there's, there's a whole uh, thing around the eight, the eight wastes. Um, but the takeaway message, I guess, is to understand where your wastes are um, and and how can you influence those and, and reduce those costs. And I, I guess, you know, remembering one person's waste is another person's gold. Um, what you think isn't worth anything to someone else in a different industry could be worth a hell of a lot. You know, brewers, brewers' waste goes into feeding livestock. I get manure from local stables. They want to get rid of it. I give them a small, small donation. That does me uh, the garden quite well. Um, but again, I think the, the, the climate industry has changed that much that um, it is it does warrant reviewing a lot of these things again because what potentially was a, a minor cost um, from a waste potentially now could be a hell of a lot more, um, and it can make um, investments or changes to plant a lot more viable than what it used to be in the past. Blind spots or 360 feedback. Now, normally you, you might be familiar with this from um, doing CPDs um, from, a, from a HR point of view and understanding how you can improve as a person or as a manager. Um, I, I think this is really useful from a business perspective as well. I mean, you know, just basically develop a simple question set to ask the employees where the business is performing well 
So you want to look, you know, you, you want to know the good stuff, but also ask where it can improve. Um, and it can sometimes highlight little things which um, cause major issues in the, in the bigger picture, um, which might not take a lot to to, to put right. Um, but if you don't know about it, you can't do anything about it. And I think probably the, the key message to to the staff is, um, you know, look at, not looking for a problem and a solution, and don't think that because um, it's always been like that. The management won't do anything about it. To try and generate a very open culture, uh, share the issues, discuss the problems, and try and get those little things um, fixed and back on track. Um, and getting a fresh pair of eyes can, can be really useful as well, because you know if um, things have always been like that, it can become the norm, and you don't really think outside the box as much. A fresh pair of eyes can sort of ask those questions. Um, you know, why are you doing things a certain way? Could you do something different? Uh, learn from different industries. Um, and as I say, what, what wasn't feasible a year ago may well be now. Um, costs have gone up. Um, a scheme that was dismissed previously may well be more favourable, and it may well now sort of tick all the right financial investment boxes and returns and investment to uh, make it make it a goer. And customer requirements, you know, understanding what your customers want. What they need, um, what they're looking for next. Trying to stay ahead of the curve. Is there a gap in the market for a new product? You know, five years ago, if I said to you chocolate oranges, you probably just think of Terry's chocolate orange. Uh, now in the marketplace, there's Kit Kats, there's Twirls, Dairy Milks. They've, they've, they've grabbed hold of that sort of uh, new product range and, and, and pushed it out there. Can you influence the next trend? You know, what 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 can your assets do which they don't currently do, which could influence the next trend? So it might not require massive investment to change outputs um, or the product that's producing, but it, it potentially could be a different product. It could go into the different trend. And I know some of this might not be um, in your control, but it all comes back to what can the asset do? And that's the important thing, I guess. Um, you know, distilleries, um, they they were making whiskey, gin, whatever. And then during COVID and stuff, suddenly they were making hand sanitizer and other alcohol gel-based products. Um, and some exploited it, they were making money, some were doing it for a more charitable perspective, but that's probably something that they never really uh, comprehended five years ago. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's what the asset could do, and, and they, they, they made the most of it. So I've talked about all those sort of things separately, but for me, they, they're all linked together um, by practice of good asset management and asset management it kind of focuses on the entire life cycle of, of an asset and what it what it should do is provide a, a sound foundation from which you can make it an informed decision on what the asset can do and help understand what what decisions those impacts that sorry what impact those decisions can make on the, the business and the ultimate aim of asset management is to to achieve the business objectives and it can be it can be easily complicated but for me I like to keep it simple and, and again focus on what matters and what what will help deliver results for the business. So what I like visually is is this image, which is the Institute of Asset Management's representation of, of asset management in an organization. And for me, it's not an engineering tool. Uh, yes, engineering play a big part in asset management, but it it envelops the whole business, you know, from the organization of people to customers to the marketing team to sales to procurement, it, it all links together to deliver uh, the product, whilst considering the life cycle of the asset. And it's it's a cultural shift, you know, it's not something you just 
you just do it overnight, but it, it helps align the whole business. And the aim is to develop a golden thread linking all the departments together to ensure that they're, they're all informed enough so they don't have to know every detail about everything, but they all know enough information about the asset and the business to make decisions and to consider the impact of um, those decisions on other parts of the organisation. And uh, you know, an easy example is, well, you want to increase output of a particular product line, great. So we need more sales. So you know, the marketing can do a bit more, a bit more work to get more sales. That then puts pressure on the, the manufacturing team. They've got to increase the, the asset output. But that potentially puts a bit too much strain on the asset and it, it's overrunning its um, normal operating time. Because of that, it can't do as much maintenance. Uh, because not doing much maintenance, that potentially causes more failures. And actually, that, that whole change results in potentially more failures, which then put a risk to business continuity um, and could have a negative outcome. Whereas by thinking about it ahead of the ahead of that change happening, um, the maintenance team could perhaps change how they do the maintenance slightly to make sure that they're, they're looking at particular failures, for failures a bit more, so that as they as you ramp up production, it doesn't have as much of a negative, negative impact. I mean, that's a simple thing, but you get the idea of it. And the, the key is to ensure that you're focusing on the, the important things in the business. And if, if asset, management, asset management is done correctly, it can really help with continuous improvement, help business growth, um, risk management, um, and, and it feeds into the strategy and planning. And I say it just it's the whole the whole life cycle of the asset. And to, to kind of do that, it requires asset strategy pulling together for the, the assets. Again, you're not going to do this for every asset in your business overnight. So start to, as I said before, understand the assets, the criticality of the assets, and focus on the, the most critical ones first. And and develop a strategy that sets out how you should operate safely and efficiently, how you'll maintain the asset, what sort of maintenance you'll do. So Going back for the proactive, reactive, predictive maintenance. Start to look at you know its life cycle. Uh, where is it in its life cycle? When will it be replaced? That feeds into the capital planning side of things. Make sure it's aligned with the business plan so that whatever the business needs to deliver, the asset is in the right position to, to do that. That's the whole golden thread thing. And it's all about communication between the different departments and not being siloized. Um, and review those strategies on a regular basis. You know. It, it might be a, an annual thing to stay current. Um, in the current climate, it might be more regular because you know, things are changing in the industry that much that it will warrant perhaps a review every six months or something instead. But it, you know, it ensures um, the strategies are up to date and they can help inform business planners so when you start to do your budget reviews for the coming year uh, and your capital plans and stuff. You're feeding in the most up to date information that's available, uh, and it is, you know, it's. The latest data and identify and measure the improvements from, from doing it so that you know you whatever changes you're doing you get the right results you're doing the right things to, to deliver the right results and then once you start to get that bit of stability you've got the, the, the basic foundation then you can start to add in the other assets and incorporate those into the system as well whilst maintaining momentum and then before you know it you, you've suddenly then enveloped the majority of your assets in your organization everyone knows what each department is doing, what assets should be doing what, how it's doing it, if there's issues, what, what you do to get out of that. It, it really helps that, that whole life cycle view of things. And kind of to help with the, the measurement side of things and understanding where you are on the journey, we pulled together like an asset management health check. Now, it, it's based on the ISO 55000 standard, which is the asset management standard. 
um, there's, a, there's a question set within there, which is quite a high level. I wouldn't say complicated, but it's, it's not as down to earth and understanding as potentially what it could be. So I took that and I've, I've pulled together sort of 40 questions aligned with that standard. And that's, that's aimed to highlight on key areas in the business. So you can see the different, the different sort of points there. And it, it's suitable for any business, any point in their journey. So you don't have to have an asset management system and be fully on board with it. And equally, if you haven't got anything at all, um, it, it kind of fits whatever you need. And you can kind of tailor it to focus on what matters. So just because you've scored low in a particular area around, you know, let's say performance valuation, you might not need to focus on that too much because you really want to focus on improvements or the leadership side of things to, to, to get more from your assets. And it, this kind of tool, this activity, again, is it's another opportunity to have a fresh pair of eyes uh, on the business and, and an external view of, of what's going on and, and what potentially you could do to make things better. Uh, whilst it's badge designed to 55,000, it, it can be good to use regardless because it, it 55,000 standard aligns quite well with all the likes of the 9,000, 14,000, 18,000 standards. And it, again, for me, it's good that it can highlight good practice, so you can you can shout about the positives, and then it also high, helps highlight potential areas for improvement um, where they again, just because it's area of improvement doesn't mean you have to do it. You want to make sure that whatever you're doing to improve improve will add value as well say focus your efforts on, on the areas that matter so in in summary um you know product costs are very turbulent at the moment but it's important to focus on what you can influence energy usage maintain the focus if you're already doing it uh, if you're not have a think about what what is using lots of energy how can you reduce that energy usage and focus on the, focus on the priority ones initially look for inefficiencies what can you do differently Asset performance, understand how your assets are performing, what what can you do to help them perform better, where's where's hurting you, you're getting lots of breakdowns in a particular, particular area, why are things breaking, what can you do to make them better, understand what your wastes are, what can they be done, what can they be done to reduce those as well, what does the customer want now and in the future, can you influence their, their needs, uh, can you make the, the next big thing that they want and harness onto that. And so to put it all together, you kind of use the asset management approach to develop this golden thread through the business. And, and the best businesses I, I've worked in are the ones that are most informed, um, the ones that communicate between all the different departments. Each department has a, a good understanding of what each other department does as well and, and thinks about whatever decision they make, what influence that might have on another department. And it's you know it's not just an engineering tool, it's a, it's a business tool, it's a cultural change, but it, it and it is hard, but it does really uh, bear the fruit once you start to get it going. And you know, and remember what what wasn't possible or feasible a few years ago may well be now. Don't don't just dis dismiss old projects or old ideas. Um, they may well be more fruitful now than what were in the past.